Welcome to the Color Auntie Podcast. My name is Grace, joined by my co-host, Kozan. And we are so glad that you're here with us. We're just your northern girls trying to live our best life. We're here to help you through those dreadful morning commutes, or if you're just wanting to hear Quay out of things you may be experiencing, because both Quay and I have been there. We don't really know what we're doing in life, but we're hoping to figure it out with you along the way. <laughs> yeah. So listen, your podcast aunties love ya. Welcome to this episode of the Call Her Auntie podcast. Today on the podcast, we have our favorite Cayuga woman. She is a two-time OCA champion. Not only is she athletically talented, but she is very multifaceted, and she has sat on several panels about empowering Indigenous youth and wellness. She inspired the 2019 movement, Shoot Your Shot 2019, um, she's an incredible, non-judgmental, open-minded, honest, and welcoming friend, daughter, and sister, and aunt. Your favorite Ojibwe girl's favorite Mohawk. Please welcome, finally to the podcast, Anna, Anna Jacobs. Jacobs. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for so being Anna. on, Anna. Like, tell us a little, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about yourself from, from you. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be on the pod. I've ghosted you several times, so it feels like a real, <laughs> a real win to actually be on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, um, I know both of you from going to Humber. Quay's a big reason why I actually chose Humber, so shout out to Quay. <laughs> She's a real one. Um, yeah, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Did you shoot your shot in 2019? I've never stopped shooting my shot. <laughs> <laughs> it never stopped. Okay. Give so us background background on that. The, yeah. Tell, because uh, I'm lost. For our listeners and Grace is that at the Indigenous Knowledges Gathering, it was the same panel that Dylan Cook, our previous, co- our previous um, guest, sat on. And I was talking about being like really inspirational and like going after your dreams and like not being afraid and having a lot of courage. But she ended off that really big statement with shoot your shot 2019 <laughs> and then she mic dropped and we were all like okay that's <laughs> wow in front of like 200 people yeah it felt right and, you know <laughs> and it was live stream too so yeah well we hope everybody who was there shot their shot and the movement doesn't stop it's continuing into 2020 it never stops never stops Go after your dreams, man. So tell us, Anna, and our listeners, where did you grow up? So I grew up in a ton of different places. Um, I was born in Hamilton, um, and my family's from Six Nations. Um, so we lived there. We lived all over the place in Ontario. We moved to the States, uh, lived in Edmonton, Manitoba, been all over the place. Um, but I spent the most time in Ontario. Um, went to high school in Brantford and then uh, moved to Toronto and then I started working and then I ended up going to Humber. When you said Edmonton and Manitoba I was like "Mm -hmm, Edmonton Manitoba wait no. (laughs) (laughs) No we go. So what influenced your move to Toronto again because it was before post-secondary or or when? 
Yeah, it was, uh, I think I was like 21 or something like that, but I was moving for a relationship. Um, so, you know, also shoot your shot. Um, <laughs> the best tip Anna ever gave me at our, like, I was, okay, one of my breakups, I was like, Anna, like, how do you do it? And she's like, I just don't like people who don't like me. And I'm like, revolutionary. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta see the whole picture, you know, you can't get caught up. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So I moved, I moved for a relationship, stayed for the relationship. And then I ended up doing a bunch of things that I wasn't planning on doing and it worked out. It, it did. And the relationship, the relationship did work out. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us and our listeners about um, how did you end up going post-secondary? So you touched on that a little bit in your intro, um, but tell us a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, it happened in a really weird way but fortunate for me. Um, I used to go play basketball like every day after work. And I played at the, these courts that were owned by RBC. Um, there's like a huge bank in Mississauga and they have like pretty nice courts. So I would like break in there basically all the time, go play. And one day this guy comes down and he's like watching me play. And I'm like, all right, it's kind of weird. Like, I'm not gonna say anything. Like I don't usually respond to just random men talking to me. So you're just, like, you want to see me shoot a three? <laughs> I'm like, you like what you see? I know. <laughs> so I'm just playing. And then he's like, have you ever played anywhere? Have you ever coached? And I'm like, no, but I would coach. And so I ended up coaching um, a U11 girls team, which was really awesome. I never did anything like that. Um, but uh, he found out that I was interested in playing uh, for a college. And I had never in my life thought that I was good enough to do that but he was like no you can do this and so he basically um helped me find a way to to like try out with Humber and Sheridan and I eventually chose Humber because you know it worked for me it was great um and then I ended up yeah I ended up being on the basketball team for three years that's on so the back it, wait, I have a question is this is this guy is this our friend Kingsley that we all know no, but he connected me to Kingsley. So the uh, person that actually like um, got me into coaching and got me to Humber, um, he, his name's Chris Bennett. And he was, he's the dad of one of the players that used to play for Humber as well, CJ. So oh, cool. yeah, I was going to be like, is Chris single? <laughs> he's not single. So uh, <laughs> <Okay. about> <laughs> clarify that, but <laughs> on the back end of your story, Kingsley he right away like in the summertime he messaged me and he's like hey I need your help and I was like oh with what like I'll help you like I want to just be a part of the basketball team they're so bad I was like honey you want me to clean the balls yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's like there's this like mohawk girl or from this girl from six nations and we want to get her like I need you to talk to her and I was like okay and then that I just talked to you that one day I think and you were like Okay, coming. I don't really know what happened on your end with that, but yeah, that's how we got connected and how we met was through the sport of basketball and getting you to come to school at Humber. Yeah, it was great. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to move on to another question. And it gets kind of deep, 
when have you felt the most lonely in your life and how did you overcome it? Um, so I have five siblings. So um, I think like growing up, I was never that lonely because I always had them. No matter where we moved, I had them. And they were, were very close to this day. So <laughs> there was always like, I knew I was always going to have them. You know, my sister's my best friend. So like, I was lucky in that sense that we moved, we picked up, had to make new friends, but I also had friends at home. Um, so I think when I felt most lonely is when I, um, when I moved to Toronto and I had to kind of like start <laughs> in a, a new place with just me there, like no one was really close. I mean, everyone lived all over the place. Um, and just basically not really knowing what was going to happen. And, you know, I didn't have a, a plan. I'm not a good planner. <laughs> so I kind of just went for it. And then I, I felt lonely when I first moved here. Um, but I think like the, the height of, of my loneliness was um, going back for my third year at Humber because there was a lot of uh, things going on in my life that were very difficult and um, things that had been drawn out for a long time and things I was struggling with that um, really affected me in a way that I wasn't I wasn't aware of at the time and looking back I'm like oh I see it like mm -hmm. I, I get it but at the time I didn't know was did you have like that epiphany or like that moment where not epiphany oh my god not epiphany if it was a hard time but did you have that realization of like this is fucking hard after you traveled abroad or was it before you traveled abroad it was after it was after yeah so for anybody who also doesn't know I'm like okay <laughs> but like for everyone else who's listening um you were also able to go abroad to New Zealand and study biculturalism with the Maori people over there eh yeah that was that was truly like a, a life-changing trip and I was I felt so lucky that I got to do it never in my life did I think I'd be able to to travel never had money for that like never even had that in my mind so that was life-changing and I got to go with really cool people so that's also a plus that's so cool so there's something about travel traveling that does that to you like I remember in high school um so my mom like knew that it was really important um the, like there was a high school trip coming up and I like wasn't interested at first because I like knew we couldn't afford it but she kind of forced me to go and she made like monthly payments for like over a year and I know sometimes she couldn't make a payment and like another family member would have to make it but she like made it happen for me to go and I remember my uh the guidance counselor at the time he's like oh he's like this this trip is going to be life-changing I'm like no, uh, no, um, it's not. It's going to be like, it's going to be cool, but it's not going to be life-changing. And honestly, like it's still like just, you know, like the friends I went with in high school, like it, it's, it was. And like, I love that time. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed that time in New Zealand. It's kind of making me want to go to New Zealand now. I mean, me and Quay have <laughs> always, we're trying to like finagle our way there. <laughs> Somehow. But I, I have like another life change not life-changing trip but I remember in high school when I went on a similar trip like Grace and we went to the the battlefields in Europe and I was like all my life I knew like our people 
fought and we fought in these wars and stuff like that but it wasn't until I was like I flew across the ocean and was on Vimy Ridge and I was like yo our uncles and like ancestors came over here to fight this shit and it's not even our shit and like I need to be so proud because they were like no we're not gonna let you come to Canada either like we're gonna fight this war and like be then they were like now they're veterans but I'm like holy shit that's a big deal and that's that was a trip that always stuck with me because of that and then like now Indigenous Veterans Day and stuff it means so much more because I like kind of made that trip too it puts it puts things in like a different light because you can understand the idea of it and you can read like things that happen in history but until you're like on the that land or you're seeing like the ruins or whatever of something that happened that's really like substantial like you don't you can't really imagine it Mm -hmm. yeah exactly I agree um okay so my next question for you Anna is what was the most scariest thing you've done and was it worth it I feel like literally everything I do scares me (laughs) and I just do it anyways (laughs) so you're are you are you like a risk taker is that like your personality to like because if everything scares you for some for some people like they wouldn't like do anything and I think that's like a reality like you know like there's anxiety and like the stresses are you just like a total risk taker risk taker I don't even, I've never looked at myself like that. And you saying like, that's brave. I've never even thought about that before because like, I mean, when I was little, I was so painfully shy that like, I couldn't talk to anyone. Like I, anyone tried to talk to me and I wouldn't know how to respond. I would just be like, dragging my my shoulders. (laughs) That's so crazy that like we, the way we see people is so different than how they might see themselves. Cause like, if I, like when I would see you at Humber, I'd be like, oh my God, hi. But maybe like what I'm thinking when we like, like hang out with people and it feels like so long ago that we've actually hung out with people, but maybe we've like, I don't know. I've always felt so comfortable around you, Anna, just to like start conversation that maybe we knew you were a risk taker because we'd be like, Hey Anna. And like, be all like excited to see you that we knew that you'd talk to us. Oh yeah. (laughs) Cause you know, how some people were like, we try to do that. And then we're like, okay, I'll, I'll stay back. No, no worries. Yeah. You need personal space. Okay. Yep. I respect <laughs> that. understand that. Okay. You're introverted. Fine. <laughs> but with you were like, oh no, we know she's going to be our friend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wait. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, you're the guest. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like I more often than not, I, I've heard that people are like scared to talk to me or like think that I mean um because you know resting bitch face is strong in me is that Um, a good sign that you're we never see that yeah probably okay (laughs) Anna I like ever like I think you're even you like your voice is so sweet like I've if I saw you in the hall I don't think I would be like whoa no not talking like I don't know like I think you you come off very friendly I don't know For sure. like you're just no. like friendly all around just when we started this podcast like this episode t- this like today two minutes ago I was like well fucking here's Anna and her great voice and I sound like I'm a mouse <laughs> I know but- Anna 
I like that's what popped in my head when I first heard you and I'm like oh my god Anna's like voice is so nice I've been trying to like deepen my voice too to like offset the high pitch that I give off just because you're here (laughs) no we love it we love diversity of voices (laughs) oh that's making me want to deepen my voice or no you try it my voice is already kind of like deep toned Toned. I don't All know. Right, y'all. We're crazy. But okay. wait, backtrack. Anna, did you tell us how you overcame the loneliest part of your life? I honestly just told people how badly I was struggling. And that I had never done that before because in my mind, I was like, well, if I have something going on, I'm going to do everything I can to fix it myself. And I'm, you know, because like when, so my parents broke up when I was like 12. And then we moved back from the States to Ontario without my mom. Um, So my dad traveled a ton for work. So really there wasn't a lot of like structure at home. So it was kind of like, Hey, if something happens, like figure it out. And like, we had each other and my dad, you know, like he did his best for how much he had to travel and we had family, but it was kind of like started that way of, of like problem solving and, and thinking for me and then I realized like that's not sustainable you need people to help you and people care and um it was it took me that long it took me those many years to get to a place of being like I actually really need help and Mm -hmm. I need like counseling I need someone to know like what I'm going through and I'm not okay yeah and I think that's like it's so good to normalize that for everyone to hear like even like Quay talks a lot about what she goes through and then what I go through. But I mean, I think throughout this pandemic, what I learned the most was like, was to say no. Like I, I'm like last night, Quay wanted to do some work in the evening. And I was like, my back hurts. Like, I don't want to sit in a chair and I just want to like lay back and watch Gilmore Girls. Like, it's okay to say no. And Quay like responded. She's like, I'm glad you, you made that decision for yourself. And I was like, is that passive aggressiveness? No. She, she really didn't want to work either. So we're like, okay. <laughs> but all day though, she was, I, I was in meetings with her and she was like, oh, oh my, like, oh, my back hurts. Oh, my neck hurts. And like, I could understand how the pain of like a neck pain. So when she was like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, good decision. You strong woman. <laughs> you set a boundary. Yep. Setting boundaries. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. I'm still looking at it. Uh- <laughs> Um, so thank you for sharing that. Like you just like took that, took that risky little risk taker and told someone you needed help. Yeah. You're such a risk taker. It's you, this is like doing wonders for my self-esteem right now. Let me just say that. (laughs) So you overcame the loneliest part by opening up, but how did you pick the people to open up to? Or how did you pick your first person to open up to? And like, what was that like? Like, were you so terrified or you knew they were going to be there for you? Um, I don't have a problem, weirdly enough, with being vulnerable with people. Um, Like, I think I can, like, suss out who is, like, someone that I can be myself with or, you know, what I can tell certain people. Um, But I think it was the being able to say, like, I need help and, like, I can't go on without help that was the hardest part. So I, I started with, um, I mean, I had physiotherapy like three, two or three times a week. 
And the conversation started there um, because I was able to able to talk and there was usually nobody around. Um, and like, we just had a, we just had good conversations. And I was like, this, this is a, a person that I can talk to about and they don't need to know too many specifics and they're willing to be there. Yeah. Um, and then from there, they kind of like pushed me um, towards talking to a doctor, towards talk, talking to a counselor um, and just being like really okay with whatever help I could get um, and that not making me like weak or incapable of, of dealing with things. So I think, yeah, like the first person would have been like my physiotherapist um, and, and my sister, obviously, but that's a given. <laughs> I know that was kind of those were kind of like intrusive questions I asked so thank you for sharing that with me but also my physiotherapist strangely enough I talked to her about a lot of shit too because you're with that person for a long time and like you know you get to know them yeah and for a long for a little bit we were both on the dating scene but she was Jewish and she had the Jewish dating app and I was like so how's that going this week and she'd be like oh So yeah, but that's really great that you were able to build that relationship and reach out and thank you for thank you for telling us that. And maybe our listeners too can like see where they trust people and like any external like the physiotherapist had no connection to your family, to your F, to your like all that. And so they could give you that like unbiased opinion. Un- yeah. Yeah. Where did where did that come from? <laughs> Ooh, I'm good. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, I I agree to like, um, even just like, like family, my family goes through stuff and I'm always telling them, I'm like, you know what? Like, like mom is going to have an opinion a certain way and I'm going to even have an opinion as well and about like a certain family member situation. And I'm like, it's best to like go to a counselor and so that they don't know they're not like I'm obviously gonna have my family member's side at the end of the day and I'm trying to give that but for a real unbiased opinion go to a counselor and it's okay and thank you for normalizing that Anna so now we're looking for some tips how do you maintain your mental wellness now (laughs) um highly medicated just kidding (laughs) But, but no, but if you do choose to have medic to take medication, that's fine too. I know when I first did my assessment, um, with a counselor, she asked me if I wanted to start on pills to help with my anxiety. And I was like, "Mm, how about I try therapy? (laughs) Okay. So sorry. What, what do you do now? I mean, I had the same like initial reaction that you did when I first talked to the counselor, it didn't really go well. Um, like it was fine, but it wasn't, I didn't find it necessarily like help helped me too much, but it did, um, show me what it didn't want, but they, they, we talked about, um, going on medication and what that would look like and kind of like, just, just looking at all the options. And I was like, no, I'd rather like try other things. Um, and so it took until, I think I, I, I first started going on um, antidepressants in like October of last year, of 2020. So um, that has been, this is the thing about going on medication is 
you don't know if it's going to work for you. And Mm -hmm. in the, in the process of trying to find out if it works, it's very physically hard. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's a lot. So you're a risk taker. (laughs) I don't say that to discourage, but it's it's a real thing that I don't think people are that aware of that. It's physically very, um, it takes a lot out of you and it can take a long time to find the right one. So um yeah don't give up if you don't find the right one on the first second third try or whatever it's yeah yeah so how did you go about asking or telling your 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 doctor then or your your person okay this isn't working for me how did you start that conversation um it was more like uh just really taking a a long time to think about what I what I was actually doing in the moment and like that wasn't enough and so if that's not enough and I've tried all these other things I need something beyond you know what I've what I've tried and so I kind of I kind of led into that Mm -hmm. Um, and I think like having someone that isn't pushing those things on you is really helpful too Mm -hmm. because you don't feel like it's it's being made you're you're being made to make that decision you feel like you have agency and control over your life in that way so right I think that was the the jarring part when that was presented to me because I'm like if this was listed as an option like birth control like there's these types of birth control and whatever fits you best I'd be like considering okay if is it this this and this like what am I looking for and if somebody was like you can go to therapy we can do counseling you can try medication you can try this I'd be like, oh, okay, what best suits me? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, like, it could be a combination of, like, five of those things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did I answer the question? I'm so sorry. Oh, it, the, we talked about good things, but my question was, when you realized that this one medication or prescription wasn't working, how did you approach your doctor to tell them that? I, I just said, well honestly, my doctor gave me that option when they first prescribed me it. They said, if at any point you're uncomfortable, if at any point you don't like how you're feeling, or you having, you know, extreme, like negative thoughts, stuff like that, we can get you off of it and switch and find something else. So they kind of left the door open for me to bring that to the table. I hope that most people, most doctors would do that as well. Um, But that made it easy for me to be like, uh, this is not working for me. Um, the side effects that I'm having are not working for me. Like it's, it's beyond the point where, you know, it's, I know that keeping on them is not going to get better. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good that you, um, you realize that. And I hope a lot of people who are on trying those medications do, Um, I have like a little bit of experience. Like I, I think, I think the same where like when a doctor prescribes a medication, I'm a bit like leery about it. Cause I'm just like, how can I like fix myself naturally? Almost like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like last year, um, like, I don't know if you know, Anna, but like, I've talked about it in past podcast episodes, how like we were seeing a fertility doctor and, he was just like terrible and he was prescribing me like I was on these like different medications that I've never been on 
And one time he upped my dosage. And then I, I had to like, I made the decision to go back down because it was making me feel terrible. And then just like, I don't know, like how doctors, some doctors are like, I stopped going because of him. Cause he's like, he's like, well, you, you can't get pregnant naturally. So we're going to have to do the next step of an IUI, which is in, in uterine insemination or something, which costs like a thousand dollars. And I'm just like, what, like you're telling me this when I already have one, but you're not telling me what the reason is to like go that route and all this medication. So I'm just like, Hey, I'm just going to stop seeing them try to get as healthy as I can. I started seeking out other doctors to try to like piece together, like what the underlying issue is. And I really think it is just, you know, since last year, I've been feeling so much better. And I think I just, you know, was low on vitamins Mm -hmm. and like not getting enough like exercise or just like that, you know, that break to go for a walk. Cause we always talk about how, um, like activity is, is wellness. What's your line, Quay, you say? What is my line? The, the higher the cheekbone, the closer to the creator. (laughs) (laughs) Movement is medicine. Yeah. Movement is medicine. So I think just like piecing all that together and like, I almost think like our people are so like, we think this way. And if we could have the option to see like a healer first, before we go to that step of, you know, medication, of course, I know medication does work for people and I right. don't want to say it doesn't, but having another option before that, I don't know. I, I think too, like having trust though, like tr- trust in that, like, yeah, if we saw, if you were to choose to see a traditional healer or somebody or like really rely on our medicines and stuff like that, mm-hmm. sometimes that just ain't doing it. Yeah. And like, sometimes. it's totally okay to be like, I need some other kind of help. Yeah, I agree. Yep. I'm right there with you. Cause I, mm-hmm. I even being on a, some, a medication that works for me, I still was like, I need to talk to someone. So then I reached out to an elder and like <clears throat> starting the process of like having both of those things as a support. And it's so much better. It's yeah. <laughs> so much better. I'm so happy for you, Anna. Aw. You don't have to cut that part out. No, this is so, so coy right now. I, I didn't know if she was laughing, but she's tearing up because she's so proud of Anna. We've, we've known Anna for quite a few years and we love her. Um, and yeah, we're just like proud of you. I think sometimes. sometimes I think like when you know that someone you care about is like struggling, but you don't know how to help them. And then, like, you kind of, like, step back and then, like, somehow they, not somehow, they get, they get through it. And then you're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> not thank God, but, like, oh, everything's okay. Not okay, because like, we're in a pandemic. Uh, but you know like, what I'm trying to say. Uh, yeah, I'm just proud of you, Anna. <laughs> Thanks, Quay. I love you guys. <laughs> That's awful that it looked like I was laughing. <laughs> I wasn't sure. So, (laughs) um, okay, let's move on to some thing that we all have in common. Um, we've all played varsity sports. 
Um, as you know, I was a curler, Quay's a basketball player, and so is Anna. So how did you get into playing sports? I love sports from like the first thing I can remember. I just love them. I always played every recess. I was so excited. I would go out and play whatever. I remember like I always wanted to play with the boys. And I think that's why I got like better at basketball. And I think that's why I kind of like play with a certain like style, right? Well, yeah, like it's different. It's not like, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever play like um, rep. I didn't have money to play in like a league or a club. So I just like literally would go out, play with people who were playing at the courts, play with my brother, like play with people from school. So yeah, I, I just always love sports, love, love trying new things and like being good at them. Mm -hmm. Um, like that was like the best thing ever. And I, that's why I chose basketball. Cause I was like the one that I felt like I was actually good at. So, yeah, yeah. it's so satisfying. Um, I have a funny Being story. Good at something. Yeah. Um, I have a funny story. So, um, so Nico, my son, he, as you know, but for our listeners, our son, um, he is like, I think he's like very like athletically, if that's a word gifted, like just some like videos I have, like I'll even share it on the podcast because it doesn't really show his face, but he's like dribbling the basketball and then he actually dunks and like gets it in his little like plastic net he has. And I'm just like, what? And he's so fast and he can even dribble a soccer ball, like kicking and running. Cause when we'd go on walks, he'd, but anyways, he's just like, he's got that competitive spirit with anything like I know it comes to he hasn't had the opportunity to play much like um organized sports because of the pandemic and then him being so young but with his online school um every Friday they do online bingo and that's like the highlight of his life (laughs) when he gets it he's like yes (laughs) and he's won bingo a couple times and I'm just like oh my god like that's like the competitive spirit. So I think he's going to be into sports, but um, so I know you said that basketball was like something you're naturally good at. Was there like when I picked up curling, I was, I was into figure skating and it kind of like, it was between the two at one point where I, I had to like put most of my time. So I chose curling. Did you play any other sports that at the end you picked basketball or was it solely basketball? Yeah, I tried to play every sport. Um, I tried out for every team. Like I wanted to be on every single team in every sport. The only thing that I never like really got into um, was soccer. I remember I tried and I was just like, this ain't it, the same for me. Oh. I'm ahead out. And then I just like tried out in grade seven, eight or whatever. And that was the one team I didn't get on. And that yeah. was just like, you're, you're dead to me. <laughs> I, I love I love watching soccer but I was just like it's not for me it's really not Grace was talking about Nico and I was like I don't want to brag but my nephew is only 12 months and he's in 40 <laughs> Nico's in and to put this into perspective Nico's four and he's in five five and six T so there's like a three-year difference yeah <laughs> and only like a two-size difference yeah Wait, he's um, done for the league <laughs> <laughs> he has to do something or else he's just or like what if he ends up being like this really fantastic artist or something anything maybe possible. like that's 
what I love is that like anything is possible, you know, yeah. like, and we were told that and we're like, okay, like, yeah, like fuck off. and yeah. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, Nico, you can be on TV. You can be an, a Maple Leaf one day. <laughs> like people laugh and I'm just like, I'm going to be retiring <laughs> early, everyone. <laughs> You're making podcast <laughs> when Nico signs his NHL contract, this podcast is over. Or or when I, Anna, you would know this, when the Leafs go on, and I don't know if basketball does this, but when the Leafs go on their, like, mother's trip, where they, like, fly the mothers, like, all the mothers of, like, all the players to, like, one of their games one weekend that's, like, in the States, I'm like, it's going to be me one day. <laughs> but that's just hope, so we'll see. Okay, wait, I have another question. Anna, did you guys have parents' night for basketball? Uh, no, we didn't. I was going to ask you, what was more special to you when your dad came and sat front row with his camera at your panel or parents night? (laughs) Honestly, my dad came to, uh, he came to nationals when we were in my first year when we lost. Um, but yeah, he came to, went to Edmonton and then, um, he was, he was going to come to when we were in uh, New Brunswick, but I don't, he couldn't make it, but yeah. Um, so he was like there when he could be there. And it was always like, always remember the games that he was there. Yeah. Aww. That's so sweet. Cause I remember when he came in and like, he said something real casual, like, Oh, I'm here to see Anna. That's my daughter. And I was like, why are you in the back? And he's like, Oh, and he gets up with his camera. And he goes, I'm like, you want to sit right here? He's like, yeah and he goes to the front well I have a question what would you say was like the one moment one of the top moments that you made your dad proud I honestly he's I think I always think he's proud of all of us no matter what like I've never not felt like he was proud of us um I think like trying to think of He's he said something like that. Yeah. He, when I was like, oh my God, are you so proud of Anna? He's like, I'm always proud of her. And I was like, oh, okay, I want a dad answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I remember one moment. So um, my mom, she tried to come to a lot of, well, most, like she came to all my one, all my games that were in Thunder Bay, but like the ones that were out of town, like she'd try to come to. Um, but I remember when, I was in grade six and this is still like one of my most proudest moments in my life. <laughs> I won um, like the speech competition where I wrote a speech about Elvis Presley and it, I went to like, so I won my classroom and then I won for my school and my mom and my grandma came to watch that. And, um, and it's still like the, probably the best thing I've written to this day. Um, and, but they had to leave before they announced the winners and then so I won and then Wait, Anna's I, like, Wi-Fi shut off. Oh she's God. really frozen. She's not listening intently. <laughs> oh, oh darn. Everyone's frozen. Oh, I missed it. I'm gonna tell her, yo, I thought yo, I thought you were listening intently. I know. It's like I kept looking up and I'm like, wow, everyone's <laughs> wow, she loves what I'm saying.
do you want when she comes back do you want to jump into the racism and sport or do you want to finish what we were talking about um yeah we should just get into the sport one Do you want to do the slides today or do you want to do that tomorrow? Oh, here's Anna coming in. Um, let's do it tomorrow. Okay. The champ is back. Back, baby. Anna, <laughs> we were like, I was like telling my story and I kept looking up and I'm like, oh, they're listening like very intently. And then Koi's like, she's frozen. <laughs> she's she's frozen. frozen. You're like, yeah, because the thing was, I was laughing at her Elvis, and then you weren't, but you were frozen. I'm like, oh, no, this is serious. <laughs> you felt self-conscious. You're like, wait, I shouldn't laugh. Yeah, I'm like, no, 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 this is a beautiful story. I, gotta, I can't laugh. Okay, long story short, I'm just going to, like, cut this out, but my mom was so proud. So when I got off the school bus and I had the trophy in my hand, she was, like, outside gardening, and I walk up, and I showed her the trophy, and she had the reaction where she was like... <laughs> like falling back she's like <laughs> so I think that was the most like proudest moment because I physically saw like, her, <laughs> her reaction <laughs> you physically almost made your mom fall <laughs> you're like that's it I win that's all okay I but my proudest moment was um <laughs> so we have parents night and it's like oh, really do you great want this on the podcast or no yeah okay so but i said i wasn't gonna put my thing on the podcast just oh you weren't I okay no no, no. Long story short, and it's not, okay but i like your long story short that was good <laughs> okay okay just edit it when we when you see if it flows <laughs> flows okay see if it flows okay we're gonna jump over to the racism in sport now are you ready yeah okay so as we are really lucky right now to be talking, uh, coming from um, having our own sports backgrounds, playing in varsity level, playing at like a, a, not an elite level like the WNBA or like curling Canada, but like a higher level. Um, we've been very privileged, I think, to have the opportunities that we've had. But I also think that like, let's talk about racism in sport because this Friday, the unwanted visitor with Garden Zone, Garden River, born and raised, um, Ted Nolan, he, his unwanted visitor came out on TSN. And so there was, this is like 1997. We were babies then. Grace, you were a year. No. He, wait, how old are you? I would have been three years old. Okay, two more years. <laughs> okay, but cut that part out. I'll say it again. It's okay. <laughs> um, so yeah. In 1997, he was coach of the year, and then he didn't get like if you saw on the the documentary, he didn't get coaching again for 10 more years. And I strongly, firmly believe that like um that was just racism and prejudice in the NHL because if we look at hockey even now it's so hard I believe for black athletes to break into that sport but I think like imagine 
tent 13 years ago. And then even if we think when um, the first indigenous hockey player passed away this, this winter or this season, um, I remember being so heartbroken because I'm like, we don't know the struggles that he went through and literally him taking that stand to be the first and like break down those stereotypes and like be brave enough to go out on the ice like that paved the way for us to be able to access sport and not be um prejudiced in that the sport world so do you guys want to share any time that you felt racism in sport I just want to state too that I think this um TSN documentary about Ted Nolan is really going to shed some light on Mm -hmm. like his truth because Mm -hmm. in the preview it was saying you know oh he like victimized himself some people are saying and then some people are like who wins um coach of the year and then doesn't get re-signed for 10 years so I think we're it'll be nice to like for him to set the record straight like how uh, Michael Jordan did in his documentary last year. Because I'm like, if this if this was a white player, would that have happened to them? No. Like how in business, if a if a woman is being bought like strong and assertive and making decisions, people are like, oh my gosh, she's bossy. But I'm like, if just because we're native doesn't mean like that's where that's where the prejudice happens. Yeah, and I hope he like. Well, obviously he already did speak out because this it's going to be released and it is released. Um, but I just, you know, like to this day, like I'm thinking I watch, like I watch hockey casually, like not like mm-hmm. super into it, but I watch it like weekly, definitely. And I don't see any coach of color on any right. of the teams. So there's still like Ted Nolan, like job really isn't done you know like he needs to get his truth out there and Mm -hmm. pave that way for people who do want to be coaches and who knows like it could be you know like NHL players um indigenous NHL players that are are now like they they may Mm -hmm. have a chance to be a coach one day who knows so Mm -hmm. yeah um do you have any words to say um Anna before we get into our questions um that just kind of brings back something that I read um maybe a year or two ago about NBA head coaches yeah and, um because it's the same it's the same issue I think in all of the pro sports but um I think like the article or whatever I read mentioned that oftentimes if um if coaches that are either black or people of color there isn't any indigenous coaches in the NBA unfortunately but they're often given um set up in and head coaching positions where it's not a great team. They're in like a rebuild. Like they're not set up to succeed right. in, a, in the same way that a, another coach would be. So when they fail, it's like, well, yeah. you're not good at this, you know? Like you don't get the same five-year run to, to mm-hmm. see what you can do and like to try to build a team or build a culture. You don't get as many of those chances because you're – not put in a position to have a really well um like put together team or you're or you're you're being moved just just um as an interim coach or something like that and there's like a plan for someone else to come in so Mm -hmm. I think that just reminds me of that where it's like even when you do get to that position you're oftentimes still at a disadvantage because 
you're being judged way more critically than someone who was white, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what that kind of like brought back to my mind. That reminds me of, um, I think around the 2000, the early 2000, like 2010, there was a lot of talk going around down in the States about like how schools aren't taking risks on indigenous athletes to play for them and like how there's a lot of stigma. And so all these res kids have so much talent on the reserve, but they're not getting scholarships. Like, uh, and like they're like 10 times better, like a white player or a non-indigenous player, but they're not getting the same types of opportunities and challenge and um, scholarships to play. But there it's just that that prejudice and racism where they don't want to take there's like so many negative things associated they don't want to take them on and that's super unfortunate and I know I know I also know that study in that article only because it also happened to one of my friends so he he got signed with LSU and then a lot of other stuff happened but like if somebody just helped him with his SATs and like had the right supports around him like you would give a normal like you were saying about hockey coaches or just coaches, um, if they were given normal supports and like given that kind of same thing, like then they would succeed in the same way. But there's all this stigma and stuff around it. And I just think that's, that is hurt. I don't know. It like hurts me so much to know that like there were better players than me and I'm like just the one person to have played yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I feel that so um have you guys ever experienced since we all have sports in common have you guys ever felt unwanted in your sport Anna um I think I have like a unique um sport experience because I didn't play on a lot of teams until I got Mm -hmm. to college like I played in high school Mm -hmm. um, but our school had like a huge native community like we like there were just native kids there but they weren't on the team Mm -hmm. so I was in that sense like one of I think I was the only one at the time and then sister was on the team for one year that I was on there but yeah um I mean and I think like more of my experience is around not feeling like I was seen for who I was and like I kind of had to like and I said this before like put away parts of myself um that people wouldn't understand or I didn't think was um something that I was safe to like you know bring to the table Mm -hmm. so it was that was more my experience of being like I don't they're not gonna understand me so I'm just gonna like Mm -hmm. keep like cool and just not bring it up exactly know what you mean and how you feel because like growing growing up in this suit too like in in elementary all of my native friends were on the team but when we got to high school like I was the only one and then in university I was the only one again as well for a long time and I remember like it being so lonely like where no one would understand like oh I can't take this part like you said I can't take this part of myself out because like no no one's gonna get it or like there's gonna be too many questions and I, and I was too young to navigate those questions. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's like, that's such a sad thing is that 
like you look back and you're like there's no way I knew how to respond to that or I knew like the context of that or what those the weight of those words or those actions or thoughts towards me but mm-hmm. it, you're expected to like if you don't say anything then people just assume you it doesn't bother you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it makes me so sad to think like when we were younger like how much we had to hold in at such a young age about who we were. Like it makes, like I I think I shared before um, in elementary school, it was me and this other native kid and we went to a Catholic school and like we obviously, I didn't, I was very disconnected from my culture. Um, So yeah, and then just like cringing at like when we would sing the national anthem and they would say like our home and native land. And I'm like, Oh my God, everyone's going to look at me. Like I don't, I didn't. And bringing it back to like my sport, I didn't feel unwanted. I think um, there was an individual who may have paved the way for me before then, but it's not like anyone in, and it's a close knit community also in curling ranks. Um, where that would never really come up. Um, just like, oh, like she's native. Like I, I never had that like on me where I had to like feel uncomfortable if I, I don't know how to explain it. Like I was just, you know, like people knew me as a good curler and that's mm-hmm. like all I wanted anyone to know. So I, and everyone was so like safe and, like supportive there that I, you know, and, you know, I have to thank like the individual Al Hackner, if actually I'm going to cut that out. Cause I don't know if he did, but okay. he was like an ind- indigenous curler beforehand. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of. Yeah. Thing. I just had one more thought on that. Like, and I do want to acknowledge that like I hold a lot of privilege because like, I think most people, assumed that I'm white mm-hmm. and like my background I didn't like I grew up moving all over the place so I wasn't really connected to my culture and like that's it's I'm still reclaiming like mm-hmm. you know that and it's so I do understand that like there's a privilege in that and like I wasn't singled out because of that you know what I mean but at the same time I didn't feel seen like I didn't feel like I was valid to even say that because of people's perceptions of me right right I think that's um yeah just cut that part out Grace because I don't know where I was going with that yeah no worries but Um, on the so on the flip side I want to end on a good note in times we felt so loved and so welcome in sport and I wanted to highlight these really great tournaments that are like all native tournaments where we don't necessarily have to be um sometimes I feel like we have to be like hey let let my point speak for itself let my rebound speak for itself like let let this my my game speak for itself um so we have to be like kind of aggressive like that or like standing in our skills like that mm-hmm. but I, I know that when we do we are available to like and access these all native tournaments like I never felt so more proud of myself and like capable in my skills than when I played at NAG and it was in Denver and then it was in Vancouver and I was so excited to play um at the Masters Indigenous Games but I had like my my plantar fasciitis issues going on but those unique tournaments where they just gather all 
native people to come and play. And it's not necessarily, oh, let my let my game speak for itself. It's like, okay, wait, guys, look, look what I can do. <laughs> and it's kind of a flip switch. So I um I wanted to more end on like when we did feel good at these tournaments. I wanna um yeah, so like with curling, we had the all we had it all native tournament. Um, I think it was called like the native bond spiel and I wasn't allowed to play in them because it was like for fun and it was like my mom's thing. And cause like her friends would try to like recruit me to be on her t- their teams. And cause like you win prizes and whatnot and they're like super fun. And so I was never really allowed to play in them um, mainly because I was young and like curling's a very social sport um, and all that. So I totally get it. It was my mom's thing. But I think where I felt so proud, I'm sad I never got to participate in NAG, but um, witnessing since being down in Southern Ontario, little NHL, um, that is just, you know, makes my heart so happy to see all those kids playing and it's this big event for them. Um, Just because, you know, growing up in sports, I know how special you feel at like the opening ceremonies and like being like, um, I don't know, in curling, we were like bag piped in, like, so like those the guys in skirts, like going on to that. And you just like feel so proud and you're like, wow, like this is like a competition. And, you know, all those little kids felt that too. Um, so yeah. What about you, Anna? I don't know if I have a good answer for that one. Um, Am I still on here or did my internet cut out and freeze? You're, you're not there. We can hear you. Yeah. Not anymore, but because you're on mute, but we can't see you. My, I didn't know if my internet, what's going on? I think this is a sign that we have to just edit and oh, wrap the, it. The amount of times I'm going to have to edit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, there's tension. No, just can't. Anna, do you want, do you want to say something to that? Or should we just like, I can just, I can just say one thing. To okay. It. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I'm more just excited and happy about the future of native kids in sport. I think like, um, honestly, I think over the last year race has been like at the forefront of sport, especially basketball, because all of the stuff that happened with the NBA bubble and, um, the responses to, to the protests and and all of those social justice issues that I feel like basketball always is tied into like culture and and what's happening mm-hmm. um, in the world or in the U.S. Um, so I'm more excited that like there are conversations now where it's like, what are we doing to make spaces inclusive? What are we doing to support youth mm-hmm. who don't have the same opportunities? Um, who might live in remote communities, who can't afford equipment or transportation and things like that, and like ways of of addressing those barriers. Just um, I'm just really excited that those conversations are happening and that the change is is happening um, in sport. Um, and like I'm just I'm excited to see what that can do and and the type of um, the type of like joy that can come out of that. I totally agree. I think that's, it's like definitely um, like looking good for, for us to see 
our people in those games. Like mm-hmm. even, um, I think there's like two, two that I know of indigenous hockey players in the NHL. And I'm just like, I don't care if they're playing against the Leafs. I'm just like, I'm cheering for like whatever team they're on. Like, I think it's Ethan Bear and uh, Amon Tour that he's from Six Nations. He's on, I don't know what team, but. Is he your cousin? I'm not related to the Montours. <laughs> if they're the Bomberries, talk to me. <laughs> but yeah, I totally agree with you, Anna and Quay. Do you have any last last words to say before we we end it? I just want to thank you again, Anna. Like you really opened up with us, and I'm really glad that you did. And again, like I say, like I was saying, like this really is going to help. I hope it helps a lot of people who are thinking about different thing, diff, thinking about different things, and also um, just talking to the, uh, any of our listeners are athletes and like they want to go and play. Like you, you can do it. Shoot your shot. Shoot your shot. Twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two. Just like go and get it. Anna, your your cousin Anna told you. Your auntie Annie. To, your auntie Annie. <laughs> Did they call you that? your aunt Annie told you to go shoot your shot man get out there shoot your shot and I'm here for you if you miss yeah so if anyone wants to slide into Anna's DMs we'll post them when we when we um post this episode um Anna yeah I I want to say it's been like awesome reconnecting and I feel inspired and just so like warm feeling like just talking to you so I hope this um our listeners you know feel the same way and um yeah thank you so much for being on the podcast finally (laughs) for um not hating me for ghosting you several times that was also um related to my mental health so you know it all comes for full circle totally we're glad you're here now yeah Okay, friends, we are logging off. So um, thank you for tuning in and listening and we'll see you next week. So your podcast, Andy's know that life can be tough. And we want to end our episode with promoting the Hope for Wellness talk line. The Hope for Wellness um, helpline offers immediate help to all Indigenous people across Canada. It is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to offer counseling and crisis intervention. Life can be tough and we've all been there. So call the toll-free helpline at 1-855-242-3310 or connect online to their chat at hopeforwellness.ca. And remember that your podcast entities love you.